And it still it still makes me uncomfortable when, un- uncomfortable when like my mom tells people my daughter Katie she's a chef. <laughs> I'm like, "Mom, I'm not a chef." <laughs> When I first graduated culinary school two years ago, my husband Ricardo and I had a conversation about what it means to be a real chef. At the time, I was really adamant about the distinction between a home cook and a professional one. We picked up the conversation recently when discussing topics for this first season, and my opinion about what makes a real chef has shifted a little bit. I don't want to call myself a chef because, like, I I, I don't deserve that title yet. Because, like, I don't feel accomplished enough to be a chef. Why not? What? When I think of a chef, I think of the people who, like, they can run a kitchen. They can, they're, like, these masters of cooking. They, I guess. But, I mean, because I just compare everything back to music. Like, you could say, like, oh, you can't call yourself a musician until you get a music degree and you know how to, like, write fugues that use counterpoint. But I think that's ridiculous, right? You can have a musician that, you know, decides to focus on the craft of writing very complicated or like symphonies or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like a punk rock musician is still a musician. Likewise, there's different levels of being a chef. But I think if you can conceptualize a menu, and like conceptualize a meal and execute it for people, doesn't that make you a chef? Well, then anybody who may ever has ever made a Thanksgiving dinner is a chef. My, if I'm thinking about purely myself, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, no, I can't call myself a chef. But I would call your mom a chef. and she's never cooked for anyone she's never like no not ever like she's done some catering stuff i was gonna say she's never cooked professionally but she has yeah like she's like the best cook i know and i would like i think she is a chef like i think she is a master of cooking (laughs) she can cook for a bunch of people yeah and, like, conceptualize and execute. And, and she just has, like, the palette that nobody else does. And, like, so she has that talent part of it. She She's always like, no, 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 you're the chef. Like, you know how to do things I don't know how to do. But, like, I, she knows how to do things I don't know how to do. Right. So what really makes a chef? Episode 5, Chef. This is Copper and Heat, a podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of the kitchen. I'm Katie Osuna. You're listening to our first season, Be a Girl, about women in fine dining kitchens. If this is your first time listening, we recommend going back to episode 1, Brigade, and starting from there. In this episode, we talk about what makes a chef. 
and the difference between a home cook and a professional one. Cooking is one one aspect of being a good chef, right? I think there's a certain amount of like talent that they have. An obsession with showing the world something that no one else had seen before. They are, they have their own way of thinking and you know their own way of cooking. And their restaurants are very them. Like they created their own style and cooking. You have to be a good cook because you need to know how to achieve like the perfect ideal setting for the food. You need to have creativity because you need to be able to have like flavors that speak to people. You know, recreate homestyle cooking in a more uh, sophisticated, in a more sophisticated manner. Just pushing culinary boundaries of, you know, testing new things. Most like really famous chefs have some sort of ego, right? I mean, let's be honest, like they're all pretty obsessed with themselves. Because no, now you're not just cooking food, right? You're telling people how to cook food and how you want them to cook food. They're usually pretty funny too. I mean, like in some sort of dirty way, like chefs just like dirty jokes. <laughs> they, they're they like explorers, right? Like that's why they're successful. They didn't do anything that somebody else did before. They like went their own way and they created this whole new thing. There's some sort of intangible aspect to what makes you a chef. As a cook, working your way up in kitchens, the title of chef is something that holds a lot of weight. It's something that you are striving for. You know that the people who are there, for the most part, deserve it. They have all these traits that you look up to. They've got the talent, the vision, the technique, and the dedication. So when the term chef is thrown around for anybody that cooks, cooks and chefs in fine dining restaurants immediately bristle. Cooking at home is great, but I don't think that makes you a chef. My family would always be like, you're not a chef yet? Like, you're... You went, you went to school for it. I'm like, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. This is Edelin. She's an executive sous chef. I'm like, do you understand how much more skill I need to develop in order to, like, be a chef? With the skill set you have to have, not in all places, but, you know, in certain places, that takes years to develop. And um, I wanted, I never wanted to take on a role that I felt like I didn't deserve um, and I would always question whether or not I worked hard enough for it. But because cooking is such a normal part of so many people's lives, we have this battle. You know, Chef Cuisine at Three Merchants Star Restaurant, I still get people who... This is Mitch, my CDC from Manresa. Like, oh, yeah, you're just like a... yeah, you're, Oh, you're a cook, huh? Okay, that's like, you know... Did you go to college? I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> like, I, I operate at a level that is equal to what you operated on, but just a totally different uh, occupation. They always question, like, oh, well, you're, yeah, you're just a cook. Or, yeah, oh, yeah, you just cook for a living? Oh, yeah. And I think, I think you always, you'll always get that until you reach that, like, David Kinch, Grant Ackes, Curtis Duffy level, where you're known as, like, this master of cooking. So when my cook friends and I talk about the difference between a home cook and a professional cook, 
What's the real distinction? I think it's just different. It's very different. This is Dan. He's a chef de partie at Manresa. It can't be the same, I don't think. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain how it's different. After so many conversations on the topic, the answers boil down to a few things. First, we talked about the purpose of a restaurant. Restaurants are a business. This is Koji, an executive sous chef. You have to be as efficient with, with everything, with time, with ingredients, you know? And I think ultimately that's the difference between home cooks and restaurant cooks. Then we talked about the intent behind cooking. I mean, you asked me why I cook and I don't cook for, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, it's for the, these people that are coming to the restaurant, but I do it for myself. I take a lot of pride in like being a cook. It's tough. It like changes who you are as a person, but I think it changes you for the better. In the end, that translates to a great experience for a diner, but I I try to do it to better myself as a person. It's just a different mentality, I guess. I think sometimes we get caught up in like trying to do something that's never been done before, and we just forget to just cook. (laughs) And, uh, you know, just make something that tastes good. Home cooks are trying to create something that is pleasing to people, right? That's always the goal is to eat something yummy. But sometimes when you work at a restaurant, you're just trying to get it done. Sometimes people don't really care. Like I know like, like so-and-so is gonna like yell at you and make you feel like a piece of shit if you don't get this done, but you have to get it done and it has to also make someone feel good, you know? It's not about like, necessarily pushing people to the limits or having them eat weird shit. It's about like reaching a level of like nostalgia and comfort. I think that's like the magic of fine dining. And finally, technique was brought up over and over again. They're just doing their food in the most precise, most like pristine way possible. The difference between home cooking, (laughs) I think a lot of it is efficiency. My wife makes great food, but she is by far the most inefficient cook that I've ever seen. (laughs) Like everything's around, but like it tastes great. People started to wonder, well, what can't I do? You know, like what is something I really can't make in my kitchen and all this and food got glorified to something that it hadn't been in the past. You know, they're doing things that your normal house mom can't do. And she's amazed by that. You know, that whole work smarter, not harder mantra is great, but I feel like a kitchen is one of the few places where you can't always do that. You have to work really smart and work really hard at the same time. Here's Mitch again. A lot of restaurants want to be known as the hardest place to work on the planet. That's... Again, I don't necessarily know why, but for sure, especially when I was at Alinea, they wanted to be known as the hardest place to work because 
I don't know if it garnered this like respect that if you work there or that you were successful there, then you could handle anything. I used to have to make this vanilla sugar where most people who make vanilla sugar for anything, they take vanilla beans, they scrape it. And most likely you're going to put it in a Roboku like food processor with sugar and you're just going to blend it up. And then there you go. You have vanilla sugar. Uh, I had to scrape vanilla beans mix them with a little bit of sugar on my cutting board, and then spread the sugar in a layer across the board that was only one granule of sugar like thick. It would take me 45 minutes to get the 2,000 grams that I needed every single day of this vanilla sugar. And do you know what we did with that vanilla sugar? We just dumped it into a sauce. And like there, so there was no reason like and when I when I found that out was when I was just like I, I you know I love what I learn in the kitchen there, but I couldn't do it anymore at that moment. Part of the experience in sitting down at a fine dining restaurant is not knowing how the hell the chef put this thing on your plate. Someone comes in the restaurant, they're like, I like to cook, but I could never do this. I'm like, no, we know. (laughs) Here's Dan. It's just so, so different than most people's lives. When we have like some sort of guest or someone come into the kitchen, you kind of feel like you're like a zoo animal a little bit. They're like, oh, look at those. It's like, that's, that's a cook. (laughs) It's just funny. And, and I think people love that too. Like, cause I thought part of that is interesting because I think that allows you to create a business from that idea where it's like, you're doing something special. There's a certain amount of mystery behind the job of a cook. And we as cooks kind of take this weird amount of pride in being shrouded in mystery, living a life that normal people can't understand. It's definitely like a club. I think it's a club of crazy people, but it's definitely a club. I mean, we're all fucking insane somehow. We're not quite right. And I love that. That's like part of why I love it too. It's like we all have some sort of weird things. It's like some sort of rebelliousness towards the norm. And I love that. While pursuing the perfection of the craft, trying to, in a sense, create distance from home cooking and to be seen as more professional, the world of fine dining has created a very homogenous idea of who can become a chef. It was just people playing to gender roles. Somehow, like, a woman couldn't be a professional cook. It has to be a man. This is Koji, an executive sous chef. Traditionally, for whatever reason, it's like they've always thought women are at home. Men are the professionals in life. So, obviously... If there was to be a professional in cooking, it would be a man. There's always been this stigma, the woman's place is in the kitchen at home, mm-hmm. you know, and the males are supposed to be the ones that cook professionally, which I don't, I don't understand that at all. In a lot of cases, consciously or unconsciously, that's how it happens. Women and men just fall into gender roles. So your grandpa Stuart definitely was a man's man and grandma stayed home and all of that. This is my dad. When I asked him about gender roles in our family, we talked a lot about his parents. Grandma was always the one cooking. Grandma, grandpa had no, no interest and, and no knowledge of cooking in the least. I think she, grandma used to say he didn't know how to boil water and it was kind of proven out in later years. He called one time 
when we were away together or whatever and was asking her how to boil potatoes. So he literally (laughs) didn't know how to boil water. But that distinction between the gender roles is what I grew up with, too. Yeah. I mean, we had a division of labor, mom and I, because because we had a division of labor and she stayed home and I ended up working. She was just home more. That's what it came down to, I guess. But in terms of gender, it wasn't, you know, she's a woman, so she stays home. It's just the way it worked out. But she did most of the cooking and some of, and most of the household chores all through the time or whatever. So I guess that was still a little bit different. But I was traveling and I was never really a home around too during that time. So I don't know that you guys would have perceived it as a gender difference so much as mom's home and dad's not. I don't know that we thought about it in terms of male, female, too much. I don't know. Mom would probably disagree. I don't know if she would or not. We'll see what she says. Our goal was always that I was stay-at-home mom and he was breadwinner, but I did have to work a little. Mm-hmm. So then it did get kind of messed up. So then I was still trying to do both. Yeah. And, you know, and he would try, I'd say, you know, to have this ready or that ready when I came home. But um, I think it was harder for him to juggle kids and take home. You know what I mean? We tried to. <laughs> we tried to both take, you know, take care of things. And this is very early on. This is very early on. And, yes, if I had to be gone, <laughs> I would be really specific about you know, this is in the refrigerator. This is what you can make, that kind of thing. But the funny thing is, it's, it was never that dad couldn't cook. I think he just chose not to because he could cook. I think he just really chose not to. He didn't want to get in habit. Then he'd be, you know, <laughs> then he'd be uh, sold out that he, he could cook and have to cook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is my brother, Dylan. We both ended up cooking professionally, which has baffled my parents. Yeah, we have no idea. We've scratched our heads on that quite a bit. But when my brother and I talk about it, we come back to the same thing. Eating together was really important in our family. Mom specifically, I think dad liked it as well, how we always had the pretty traditional setup of just always having like the family dinner. Everybody had to sit down at the table and eat together. And I think that was a big part of our love for food or like desire to be a part of that somehow. Maybe relate community and good times like that to sitting down and eating a meal together. When I decided to pursue cooking professionally, I assumed that's what I would be surrounded by. That's not necessarily always the case, especially in fine dining. When I was in cooking school, a big thing that they brought up about cooking is conviviality, right? Here's Koji again. It's not just the food. It's about the conversations you have over food, the way you experience your food, the comfort you experience food, right? That's why, that's why people like grandma's cooking that's why people like mom's cooking because it's like the foundation of a culture of your house culture or whatever and like not just i don't think just fine dining but food in general is moving away from that and for whatever reason we like create this culture where it's like people just make it uncomfortable for women to work in restaurants women women shouldn't be here it's like i don't most most people would argue that the person that like introduce them to like food was a woman. Being a chef means making quote unquote men's food. There was a huge uproar last year when a New York Times article came out about Chef Dominique Crenn. In the article, a San Francisco Chronicle food reviewer said that she's cooking the way men are cooking, comparing her to her male counterparts with three Michelin stars. 
What does that mean? This is Courtney. She's a chef de partie in the pastry department at Manresa. Like a guy's supposed to eat meat and potatoes and a woman's supposed to eat a Caesar salad? Like, I don't... But that's just talking about, like, stereotypes of men and women and what they eat, not what they cook. So then I'm even more lost. Like, I don't know. Isn't it all just the same food, but it's just the person who cooked it? Like, if a male chef is getting an award, it's because they're very talented and they make very good food. And it is technical and precise and delicious and yada yada. But if a woman also gets that award, it's not because she's making men's food. It's because she's making delicious food that is also technical and precise and delicious. Like, it's the standard of food. It doesn't refer to who's making it. We've got this stereotypical view of men's cooking. It's innovative, artistic, or scientific. Does all these crazy things that fuck with your senses. Whereas women, especially women of color, are seen as the couriers of tradition, making food that is homey, nurturing, comforting, traditional. People don't feel, quote-unquote, as comfortable with me because I am of color. This is Adeline again. Or, you know, they just already have these preconceived notions about me of what things I can cook. Like, people ask me, like, do you cook a lot of Filipino food? I'm like, hell no. I don't know. Like, I can cook you some adobo, you know? Like, but I don't know how to cook a lot of the food that I grew up eating. I don't know. A part of me doesn't feel right to cook it because, one, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And two, my, my like, mom or my grandma, you know, would definitely know how it should taste better than, than I could. Even if the inspiration for many well-known chefs are the traditional foods cooked by their mothers or grandmothers— They become chefs because they transformed the food into something new. It becomes about the challenge and the innovation, about taking what is mundane and making it extraordinary. There's this perception of men and women's cooking, but what does it matter? Women are still in the industry. Women are still chefs. Women aren't stuck doing women's food. They can be successful, right? Well... The San Pellegrino World's 50 Best list is one of the definitive and most prestigious lists in the culinary world. From 2014 to 2017, no more than three women-led restaurants had made it on the list, and all of them were led with a male partner. And people were upset by this ratio. So what did San Pellegrino decide to do? They created a special award for one person a year to be titled the world's best female chef. I didn't even know that existed until he just told me that right now. Why did women need to be categorized on their own like as they're they're like lesser beings or like they can't compete with a male counterpart like is that what the message is no i mean that's how it comes out right like like you need to categorize them on their own because it wouldn't be fair to categorize them with the males i mean there are a lot of things wrong with this list not just when it comes to women Diversity is sorely lacking in general, with 26 of the restaurants being from Europe or the UK and five from the US. And the restaurants featured are almost exclusively expensive, tasty menu-only restaurants from European backgrounds, bringing us to the idea that there is supposedly only one kind of innovative chef and one type of cuisine that is viewed as the best. I wouldn't want want that label. It's great that people are being recognized But I don't think it's necessary. I mean, 
I don't know. It's weird to me. That's really weird to me, right? I wouldn't want to be the best white male chef, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I would just want to be the best chef, you know? I mean, I'm sure, like, being a white male definitely helps. <laughs> yeah, the best chef is the best white male chef, which is terrible, but I'm, I'm sorry just because I'm a white male. Like, I don't have these experiences, but, like, I wouldn't want to be the best something-something chef. I just want to be the best chef. Like, just be, like, recognize me for the work that I'm doing, not just because, like, it's, like, adding a detail that kind of just like takes away from the actual uh, like accomplishments maybe like she didn't get there because she's a woman she got there through hard work and the same things that that guy did that white male did (laughs) (laughs) the best female chef award is notoriously controversial in the industry from 2011 to 2017 only one of the chefs Elena Arzak from Spain was represented on the top 50 list. Dominique Crenn in 2016 and Claire Smith this year, 2018, were not on the top 50 or the 51 to 100 consolation list at all. Though Crenn did appear at number 89 in 2017, the year after she received the award. Anna Ross, who received the award in 2017, debuted on the list at number 59 and in 2018 was bumped up to the top 50 list at number 48. This year, 2018, The number of female-led restaurants went from three to five, though it should be noted that three of those are still led with a male partner. I don't think it's stupid. I think it's a really cool accolade to have to be named, you know, best female chef, you know, especially in in these times. I think, you know what, I do think it's cool because, again, there's not as many female chefs as there are male chefs. So... You know, they're picking from, like, a smaller pool, Mm -hmm. which I think is saying a lot, too. I mean, I think that, like, when people are like, you know, there's only three female-led restaurants that are on here. And then they kind of try and fix the issue. And I don't, I mean, I don't think that they're particularly responsible for why there's only three like, there are less women-led restaurants than male-led. And, the, I mean, that's kind of, like, the whole conversation that we're having. I think that it just shows, like, it's not like people are out, outraged, perhaps, that there's only three on the list. But it's, like, it is a real thing. There's only three. So, like, why is it that way? It's really just a question rather than, like, people getting like up in arms and like so upset that they need to make this other list, which is only then kind of making it worse because it's like, well, what now we're in like a separate category. Like, (laughs) no, no, (laughs) go back to the way it was. You know, people I think are getting like really uncomfortable maybe talking about it because it's like, I don't want to say the wrong thing or like, I don't know what to think about it. And it doesn't have to be like this cutthroat, like, if you say something that's not right, I'm going to kill you. It's just like, let's have a conversation about it and figure out why it's that way. And it could just, you know, work itself out. Who knows? But, like, everyone relax a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Chio. <laughs> yeah.
In the next few episodes of Copper and Heat, we're going to wrap up this first season, Be a Girl, with some episodes that are a little different than the previous ones. Coming up next is an interview with my previous boss, Chef David Kinch, about the different topics we've been talking about. We get the perspective of a chef who owns several restaurants in the San Francisco Bay Area, including the three Michelin star Manresa. Girl, the first season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna, and Ricardo Osuna. A special thanks to Koji Yokoyama, Fred D'Andretta, Christopher Hamilton Lord, and Edelyn Garcia, who we interviewed in this episode. And thanks to Rachel Palmer and Clancy Magnuson for editing help. Check out our website, copperandheat.com, for more information about today's episode and links to the San Pellegrino 50 Best List. Don't forget to subscribe to us and leave us a review. It helps us a ton. Tell your mom, tell your friends, tell your cat. We could use all the help spreading the word. Do you have stories from working in the industry? Something that you want us to explore more? We'd love to hear them. Send them to hello at copperandheat.com or call 208-718-2719. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. And finally, Thank you all for listening.